Welcome to the Church Safety and Security Broadcast with the Church Safety Guys. Brought to you by TwoWayRadioCenter.com, a Motorola value-added reseller. The Church Safety Guys is a nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping the vigilant, those men and women who stand watch, keeping our houses of worship and places of faith safe. We believe church safety and security must be a ministry first and have engaged servant leaders who continually strive for excellence and teams of motivated volunteers that are always training. Join us for the next hour as the Church Safety Guys unpack safety, security, leadership, and ministry operations with your hosts, Dr. James McGarvey and Mike Scully. This broadcast is also available on YouTube, your favorite podcast platforms, churchsafetyguys.com, and on the original church security app. Download it today. Feel free to like, subscribe, and share with your ministry. Well, hello, and welcome to the Church Safety and Security Broadcast with the Church Safety Guys. I am James, and once again joined on this fine Sunday broadcast by my co-host, Mike. I feel a little bit less today, but maybe that's just the camera talking. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, technical difficulties. Can't get that camera to fire up tonight for some reason. Well, we are here, so welcome. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's what counts, right? Exactly. And, and who knows? Maybe it's the heat. I mean, it's cool enough inside, but it's 107 outside. So that uh, that Texas heat, I'm not. I'm not jealous of you at all. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit a bit much this year, but uh, I think in general, I don't have to shovel it. So that's the main uh, value, I guess. For sure. For sure. I think it was today in, in central Ohio, it was like, I want to say it was 96 degrees. It's been that's, cooling down, but it's still not... decent for Ohio. So yeah, pretty, pretty high for up there. For sure. And, uh, and extremely humid. So I don't know what's going on with all of that, but anyhow, um, well, welcome. Thank you for, for hanging out with us for the next hour. And, uh, as always, we are here uh, to serve you, and uh, we appreciate you listening. And uh, if you just joined us, or or maybe you haven't joined us in a in a while, thank you. Um, as always, you can reach out to us through our website, which is churchsafetyguys.com, and then also uh, through the church security app. And uh, if we can help or be of any help to you, or uh, your congregation, your house of worship, please uh, feel free to let us know. We would love to do that. And if you're listening on one of the podcast platforms or also on our YouTube channel, uh, feel free, free to click like and subscribe. Uh, that helps us out with the algorithms uh, and lets you know when we have new content coming up, which is usually just about every every um, every weekend. We usually try and do an episode unless it's a holiday holiday weekend or um we're out in the field trying to to do our thing with churches accordingly 
So speaking of being out in the field, I will be in the San Francisco area uh, yeah, right. next Sunday. So I do have a small window of opportunity to connect with uh, an, another available church. If somebody has an interest, please feel free to reach out. We can try to make that happen. For sure. It's definitely a great, great opportunity because I know we, we do have uh, quite a few folks from the, the great state of California that uh, that listen to the broadcast. So uh, if that's something you're interested in, feel free to reach out to us. You can actually you can do that through our website um, and uh, just through the contact form and we'll we'll connect you with uh, with Mike or, you know, you can message him directly too. that's fine. That works. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to me, you know, this week's been kind of, um, starting, starting to slow down a little bit, but, uh, we, uh, we are still looking at, uh, trying to do a conference in Indiana. And so if you're, uh, listening and you're part of a church outside of the Indianapolis market, or um, you would like us to, to come to a conference at your location, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, we still have a few, tentatively few openings uh, between now and the, the holidays, so around Thanksgiving, where we can, we can certainly do conferences or one-day uh, training uh, for you guys accordingly. So uh, if that's something you're interested in, again, please feel free to reach out to us and we'll... Um, We'll do the best we can to, to fil- facilitate that. Uh, at the moment, uh, we're, we're almost done putting the website together. Uh, but just to, to give um, February a shout out, February 24th, we're actually going to be doing a conference in uh, Lakeland, Florida. And that will be a one-day conference that is geared towards uh, youth and children uh, in the church and places of worship and protecting them and creating a safe environment. And so uh, that is going to be a one day uh, event, February 24th. And so we'll have tickets and whatnot available here shortly, but that, um, that event, I think we're going to have probably four or five speakers there. And uh, we're doing that in partnership with uh, the Better Protectors Group, and then also USCCA, and uh, also uh, the Evangelical Child Abuse Prevention uh, Organization, so ECAP. Uh, they'll be there and uh, giving giving ministry highlights and uh, guidance for uh, ensuring in this in this present day and age and culture that, uh, that your children's ministry is, is safe and, and, um, just helping you with best practices for that. So I'm looking forward to that. I think it'll be a good, I think it'll be a good day. And, uh, well, it's very, I will say it's, it's very limited. The church that, uh, that we're using is on the smaller side. And so when we open that up, um, which should probably be in the next week or so, for tickets, um, those are going to be very, um, very sparse and they go very quickly. So, um, but anyhow, anything else you want to add, Mike? No, I think that's great. I, I'm glad to see that, you know, we're coming back into the fall here. I know a lot of churches do kind of back to church Sunday and 
get to the kind of picking up at different churches yet again after the summer with certainly different areas that are very touristy. You get that fluctuation, et cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. But with school starting back up, I know uh, my son started this past this past week. Uh, my other kids will start this week. So it does tend to be a, kind of a, a, a ramp up, if you will. So take that seriously. Know that you're going to potentially have an influx of folks coming to try and check out churches as they get their fall routines underway and so you may see some fresh faces and that's a good thing yeah for sure we we actually um it's funny you mentioned that because we actually did today as well we had uh some folks that that came and visited and uh you know, of course we tried to tried to make them feel welcome when you have a, a smaller church or a church plant you know, you kind of notice <laughs> when, uh, when new, new folks show up, which is good, but, um, they had been out and I guess did some research on us, uh, from the website. And so they were, they were anxious to, to come check us out. So nice. yeah, it was, it was really cool. It was a, a great family. I, I think they were just looking, honestly, I think they were just looking for something new, but but yeah, they made that decision like towards towards the fall coming out of summer. That's what they said that, you know, they were going to start looking for a, a new a new church. And and uh, it was a great it was a great day. So, yeah, our the next couple of couple of weeks were kind of on um, our I'm kind of on double duty, I guess, for uh, for the church, because we have um our pastor has actually taken his son down to um, Pensacola Christian College. And so they're going, I think they're going down there for a week. So he's going to be out of, out of town uh, this week to next. So it'll be kind of, uh, kind of interesting. I think it's the second or third time that he's gone out of town. And so he's, because we're so small and we're just starting off, um, he is nervous about it. And he said several times, like he's checked in with me about, about making sure stuff is covered and that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm just like, don't worry about it. Spend time with your family. Everything will be fine. You'll be good to go. So, but anyhow, so what we'll do, uh, we will actually, we have a special guest with us on this broadcast. This is, if you're listening to this at a later time, this is our normal Sunday night broadcast, but uh, I will go ahead and uh, bring in our guest who is uh, Steve Bucci. And uh, let me pull him in. And Steve, welcome. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on with you. So thank you again. Yes, uh, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much for for hanging out. And um, we I kind of reached out and I, I connected with you because of your involvement with the, uh, with the heritage foundation. And, uh, I know you, um, kind of beyond that, I'm, I'm just kind of looking at the, the heritage's website here and trying to pull it up, but, um, you have really an amazing background with national security and, um, with the military. And usually what we do, uh, Mike and I, again, neither of us have ever served in the military, but we come from, uh, I come from a large military background and, uh, 
I currently work for, uh, actually work Monday through Friday, work for the defense department. So, um, it's definitely something we appreciate and we love having, having veterans come on, but we always take the, the first opportunity and say, thank you for your service. And, uh, we appreciate that. Well, you're, you're very welcome. And, uh, I just remind everybody, keep praying us old guys aren't doing it anymore, but there's a lot of young <laughs> men and women still out there serving in sure. a lot of not fun places, doing things that are, they would rather be doing something else. So we just keep holding them up in prayer. That's where we really need to focus. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if, if you could, um, we can just start, kind of start with your background, if you would, um, and then maybe kind of explain a little bit about the Heritage Foundation and what you do with, with them. I have, a, I have a feeling that that was more of a retirement position and you seem really busy, like maybe you didn't retire. <laughs> uh, I, I like to tell people I've, I've now failed retirement about four or five times. <laughs> and, and the retirement I'm in right now is frankly exhausting. It's, uh, <laughs> it was simpler when I had jobs, but uh, it's, it's all good. It's, it's stuff I love to do, stuff that I think is important. So uh, why don't I start a little earlier than that and, and sure. then move Absolutely. in that direction. <laughs> uh, I grew up uh, right outside New York City in uh, mm -hmm. Westchester County, just north of, of the city. Uh, that's why I don't talk like people from Texas or Ohio or <laughs> definitely not like the folks from Michigan where I live now. And I darn sure don't talk like the people I spent most of my adult life around in the southeastern part of the country. I still say I have never said y'all involuntarily. So it, <laughs> That's uh, an accomplishment. <laughs> it, it is, especially when you spend as much time down there as I have. But uh, I, I always wanted to join the Army. It was a lifelong uh, desire from a very, very early age. Probably drove my parents and my teachers and guidance counselors crazy because I had a pretty singular focus towards doing it. I made a decision that I wanted to go to college and become an officer. And I thought the best way for me to do that would be to go to the United States Military Academy at West Point, which was only about uh, 35 or 40 minutes north of where I grew up, just on the other side of the Hudson River. So I did that. Uh, I graduated in 1977, uh, became an infantry second lieutenant and went to join the 82nd Airborne Division as a paratrooper. I did that for a couple of years and then took the next step in, in my plan, which was to uh, try and get my Green Beret. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I applied for and got accepted into the program to uh, become a special forces officer. At the time, it wasn't even a branch. It was just a, an additional skill that you got. Uh, and I managed to accomplish that, served several years, uh, doing that, at which time my, my girlfriend, who soon became my fiance and is now my wife, looked at me and said, okay, what are you going to do when you grow up? <laughs> um, she actually let me, you know, embrace the fact that I had accomplished all my goals for about 45 minutes before she threw that one on me. <laughs> I probably should have known awesome. then she was the right girl. Uh, <laughs> and I, I did... I did some other interesting things in the army. I, I commanded at a basic training unit at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. I became what the army refers to as a foreign area officer. We get extra education. I have a master's and a PhD in international relations. And we work in our embassies around the world as the military representative 
uh, in those uh, State Department-centric sort of organizations. Did most of my work in the Balkans before the Balkans became a big issue. Uh, so I, I didn't spend a lot of time in Paris eating with fancy knives and forks. <laughs> uh, it was actually more akin to my special forces training than it was the diplomatic kind of training they gave us. But I loved it. It was fun. My wife and I and our children were together pretty much the whole time. Uh, we were the first ever attache family in the country of Albania when they became free from the communists after 50 years. And that literally was like a missionary position. Uh, we, I worked with them to rebuild their, their uh, military structure, their intelligence structure. And my wife opened up a clinic with two Scottish missionary doctors in the country that hmm. provided medical care for both the diplomatic corps, but also a great number of Albanians. Uh, so uh, we did that. I, I also commanded and served in several different special forces groups. Uh, I was originally in the fifth special forces group focused on Europe. Then I joined the seventh special forces group, which focused on Latin America and then I commanded the 3rd Battalion of 5th Special Forces, which now is focused on the Middle East. So uh, we, we got to do a lot of interesting things. And then after another uh, attache assignment in Bosnia-Herzegovina, I got selected to become the military assistant to the Secretary of Defense. At that time, just took the job was Secretary of Defense Donald H. Rumsfeld the uh, only person that I know of that's been the sec def twice. Uh, so he came back to do that. I joined his staff on the 1st of July, 2001. And we had a really busy summer, a lot of, you know, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week kind of jobs. I carried the, the secure cell phone with me everywhere. I went 24 hours a day. It, because if something came up, I was the first guy they called, to say, sir, what are we supposed to do with this? And I'd sure. take a whack at it and off we go. Uh, and then uh, my family came back from Northern Michigan. They'd been summering up there uh, and the boys started their new high school. And my wife said, well, I, you know, I don't have anything to do. You know, do, does anybody at the Pentagon need a nurse? She's always worked as a, uh, a volunteer Red Cross nurse, our whole marriage. Sure. Uh, and so I, said, well, I'll ask the doc. He said, sure, bring her in. I'll talk to her. We'll find something for her to do. So I brought her in with me at <laughs> five in the morning. That was when I got to work to prepare for the boss on September 11th, 2001. Oh, that wow. was the first day she was in the building and she was there for a job interview, essentially. Uh, and as she described, she hmm. was in her, her skirt, her high heels and her pearls because she didn't think she was going to do a mass casualty exercise. Uh, and then mm. suddenly off she was helping people. Uh, I, how many of you know Lieutenant Colonel Birdwell? Uh, mm. he's, a lot of people have seen him. He was really, really badly burned. He's now a state senator in Texas. Uh, Brian Birdwell is his name. Uh, mm -hmm. She was one of the people that cared for him before they got him out of the site and off to the hospital. Uh, and that started a very, very busy couple of years for us uh, sure. in helping the secretary and the whole department in various ways. Uh, I eventually 
retired from the military after 28 years and stayed with the secretary for, you know, this was after four years with him as a colonel, Mm -hmm. stayed with him for another couple of years as a uh, civilian political appointee, and then went to another job in the Pentagon and became the deputy assistant secretary of defense for Homeland Defense. So mm-hmm. I was DOD's plug into the wider Homeland Security uh, enterprise. So mm-hmm. I did everything from domestic counterterrorism, working with the FBI, to border security. Uh, I was in charge of an operation called Operation Jumpstart in uh, late or latter part of 96 to the, the beginning of 98, which had National Guardsmen all over the the Southwest border, helping the border patrol, uh, did hurricanes, wildfires, uh, <laughs> all, all that kind of stuff. That was all in my bailiwick. Fantastic job, you know, sort of unarguably a positive thing for our nation trying to help out. And interestingly, DOD in those situations is always in support. We, sure. know, we're not, we, we got the most stuff and the most people, but we, you know, we're not the people responsible, so we're there to support. And that was a right. little tough for some of our uh, senior officers who might show up wearing two or three stars, and they <laughs> realize they've got to report to Police Chief Smith of the town mm-hmm. that's been hit by the tornado, and they're taking orders from him or her. Uh, and and it really uh, was the beginning of a change in the culture of DOD. To understand that we have as much applicability domestically as we do internationally, but boy, we wear a completely different hat when we're doing it. So sure. I did that. I eventually left the, the government in 2008, worked for IBM for a little while doing cybersecurity stuff. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not a geek, folks. I'm, I did policy, <laughs> the policy part of it. Uh, I, I was the one they sent to talk to other old guys who didn't get it. And, uh, you know, needed somebody that looked like them to convince them they really needed to do something. And then finally, uh, in uh, about 2012, 2013, I went to work for the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank in Washington, D.C. And -hmm. for the first time in my professional career, I was supposed to talk to people. I was supposed (laughs) to go on radio and TV and go before Congress uh, and, and not have all of the rest of my chain of command in panic that we were going to let some cat out of the bag. So uh, I, I loved doing that. It was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It was a great way to continue to contribute to the security of our country. Uh, and that eventually led me to, to get involved more and more in security. Uh, I started mm-hmm. to do that. I did a lot of it in the military I worked with the people who protected Secretary Rumsfeld and people who protected all of the big shots over in Iraq. Uh, But when I left and moved to Michigan full time, almost immediately, like the first week I was up there, I heard a young gentleman on the radio who was talking about doing biblically based security for Mm -hmm. churches and schools. So that really intrigued me. And uh, I contacted him and uh, worked with him for a few years uh, doing assessments for churches and schools, teaching, you know, training them, teaching Mm -hmm. them uh, techniques that wouldn't eliminate risk, 
but would at least mitigate it in sure. a way that was meaningful. And I've continued in that. And I realized the other day, I sort of counted from when I started that. I was thinking it was like two or three years ago. It was actually seven years ago. So I've been doing oh. this stuff for, for quite a while. <laughs> uh, and then most recently, where where I met uh, John Riley, who I think was the, who uh, gave you my name. And, sure. <laughs> uh, was at a conference of an organization called the Faith-Based Security Network. Mm -hmm. And uh, I spoke at that conference talking from the standpoint of a guy who does some teaching and outreach to other organizations, but also runs the security team for my church. And uh, I, awesome. it was a different view than some of the other speakers. Uh, I don't think it was anything earth shattering, but coming from someone mm -hmm. else who's doing what these folks were actually doing that, you know, the attendees, I think it was effective. And, uh, and I, interestingly, your, your whole premise of your, your podcast and your ministry <laughs> here is to talk to people from all the different parts, sure. know, the, the churches, the schools, the, the police, the uh, uh, mm -hmm. other government officials, I, I'm also now in September going to be speaking to the Michigan Emergency Managers Association mm -hmm. about what our church and school does. We have a, a Christian school connected to our church. Uh, and it's it's interesting because people are no longer going, oh, those are the crazy religious people. Sure. You know, they're, they're all off on the edge when they realize that we're not, that these threats are potentially real. We've seen it mm -hmm. over and over again. Uh, and that by networking the way we are, by things like your broadcast, uh, people are taking a serious professional view of this threat and mm -hmm. how we have to deal with it. I'm not discounting police, and I know you're not either, Sure. We'd be thrilled if the police were around all the time to protect us. But ask any policeman who's not doing a public address, you know, he's talking face to face with you and they will tell you, look, we're, we're going to kill ourselves to get there when we get that 911 call. But, you know, nobody has the mm -hmm. Star Trek transporter technology yet. Sure. And for instance, we <laughs> live in Emmett County in northern Michigan. There's a ton of acres of ground those poor guys have to cover and they may not be parked right outside your church. So you really have to uh, have something in hand to do mm -hmm. until they get there. And uh, the, the work that I've been doing, most of the law enforcement agree with that. They mm -hmm. want to be a part of the planning so that it can be synchronized and coordinated, but they sure. recognize we have to protect ourselves at least for that vital two to five or seven minutes until law enforcement can get there and, uh, right. and what they do so well. hundred percent. The uh, Steve, the emergency management piece that you were mentioning is, is actually how I got involved in church safety and security. Um, I was involved in uh, emergency management in my community in Massachusetts before relocating to Texas. Uh, we did active uh, work around uh, emergency preparedness, response preparedness, et cetera, but mm -hmm. also we're involved in kind of active uh, situations doing uh, assistance with uh, local law enforcement uh, with their 
active shooter training, things like that, working across the state. And so that's how I got uh, much more deeper involved in situations like that. We were the uh, we acted as kind of a fiduciary arm uh, as a planning committee for Homeland Security as well in the state. So served served in that capacity. And I've seen how emergency management definitely has tie in to the church world, not just in the preventative, as you were talking with the police side, but in the circumstances that are you preparing that when, when and if something does happen, do you have the ability to manage a mass casualty event or some large scale event or some sort of how do you clean up the pieces after that, that recovery phase? And, and so we're looking at what does that look like for, for churches? Are you prepared? Do you have somebody who could potentially serve in the capacity as like a public information officer? Have you even encountered that? And, and all the different details on what emergency management entails. It, it, it really is important because the other aspect is not just the churches being able to take care of themselves, though that's a huge ministry in and of itself. It's that the churches form the basis for so many of the folks who are going to be willing to help other people who Absolutely. are caught in, in a bad situation, either locally for sure, but also in some cases, I mean, we have people every time there's a hurricane in Florida, uh, you know, or on the Gulf Coast, they're packing up from northern Michigan and heading south to try and help. Yeah. I, yeah. When I was still in, in DOD, we had a lot of debates with FEMA saying, look, these people are going to show up. If you mm -hmm. don't want them to just get in your way, then you need to help organize them or show someone else how to organize them so right. that they're value added. You know, you, it, uh, you don't want to showing up in yeah. Florida with, with wool <laughs> blankets. You know, they, they need different sure. stuff and they'll do that. And I had one fella from FEMA who said, well, you know, they might show up for a tornado or a hurricane, but if, you know, if an improvised nuclear device went off, they won't show up. I said, dude, you are wrong. <laughs> These are people who are going to be willing to sacrifice themselves to help others, sometimes sure. to their own detriment. And particularly, why do you want to waste this asset and, mm -hmm. and make them seem like they're a, a hindrance to you when they can actually be an asset in tremendous ways? They're not going to replace FEMA's professional you know, stuff coming in. Sure. But boy, there's a lot of tasks volunteers can do and do very well that then frees the pros to do the, the more difficult tasks that might be out there. It's interesting. You mentioned, and I, I want to go back to um, when you were talking about your, your bio just a bit, and you mentioned your wife helping out and volunteering with the, with the red cross. And I think that's actually something that I've done. I want to say now for almost 30 years off and on, um, and I am, I'm actually a disaster chaplain for them. So I, I will respond to, to different scenes and actually do the same for the DOD. I'm a, a DOD chaplain and oftentimes um, in supporting, I've been pulled to teams when different things have happened um, where we need supplies or we're, we're supporting in that supporting role you mentioned. So I, I definitely can understand and relate to, to what you're, what you're saying, but I think that with the, with the red cross piece of it and helping churches, one of the things that 
I noticed when I started doing that and going down that road of trying to trying to be helpful was that even they were having uh, as like a nonprofit or a public safety type organization, they were having challenges connecting with local churches and, um, you know, with with local law enforcement. And so one of the things that I did uh, with them and started doing with them in central Ohio was connecting to the larger churches because they have the resources. And, mm -hmm. you know, like just like you said, they have the individuals in the community where, you know, if a if a church has something going on, um, I mean, there are individuals in, in my church and churches I've attended before where I could literally call on the phone and say, Hey, I need seven people, you know, to get these supplies, you know, across the state lines. This is what's going on. This family was just affected. And, you know, they're not even part of the Red Cross, but they would do whatever it took to help me out to jump in and do that. And so I, I think that, um, it's interesting because I think perspective wise, I certainly, um, I, I certainly remember September 11th. I remember the, the, uh, the cultural atmosphere of what it was and what it became, what the country became after, uh, from the standpoint of everyone stepping in to serve and to help. And I think, in a sense, I think we've kind of lost some of that over the years because of not not being there, maybe not because we weren't like my kids weren't there to see what happened. My my oldest daughter was just, I think, one or two at the time. Um, but I think that that camaraderie or the, the just the I don't know, the connection of, hey, let's you know, let's come together, let's work together to solve these problems. I mean, you know, churches have those resources to say we've got in a lot of cases, we have a larger building. Sometimes we have like food pantries. Sometimes we have medical supplies. And then on the other side, you know, oftentimes you have different groups like, you know, public safety or, you know, EMA groups that are like, Hey, we need this. Like, where can we find this? Oh, well, you know, I've got a, I've got a, you know, logistically move it from, you know, Michigan to Ohio. Well, wait a second. You know, there's, there's a church right here. That's got that mm -hmm. stuff. And, and so, really the, the networking between churches is mm -hmm. important as well. You know, sure. if you might have it in your church, but you know, a pastor somewhere else that's closer to the area that may have a similar capacity and you can say, Oh no, we don't need to move it. I can give you the name of my buddy. He's right there. In fact, I'll call him and let him start mm -hmm. getting ready. I mean, there's natural networking functions there through denominations, through just, you know, going to pastor stuff and meeting yeah. each other that, that is useful. And again, you have people who by reading God's word have that ethos. We should, probably could use some more. But, you know, it's there, at least in some of the folks inside everyone's church. It, it's a natural place to go to look for that that capacity, whether it's the tragedy of a shooting or a flood mm -hmm. or a tornado or any of the things that can happen. Uh, we really need to, you know, we used to depend almost solely on the community for doing this stuff. Sure. And, and now we depend almost solely on the government. I think we need to get some balance back where sure. the government does what the government should do. They've got big 
capacity and, and big uh, abilities, but they don't know that individual community. They don't have the personal connections. So we don't need to have churches or, or other community organizations cut out. We need to have them working together in, in a unified fashion when, when there's a disaster in a community. It's the best way to approach it. Uh, and it's, it's something that's quintessentially American. Uh, sure. If we would just go back to it. Yeah, it is. It is kind of hard to to go through that as well. You you mentioned earlier. You mentioned that uh, you felt like we were a little bit different in our focus, and that's as far as our ministry goes in the the church safety guys. And and that's really. I mean, we we started back in 2018, but part of the reason that we uh, we felt there was a um, really a hole in, in that connective piece. And we felt that, you know, where churches should, should be prepared, you know, at the time, a lot of folks were saying, Hey, you know, train for active shooter, train for active shooter. Well, that's, that's great. I mean, you know, the, the most recent FBI statistics show we're, we're seeing, I think it was over the last 10 years, we've seen a 35% increase of active shooter situations in, uh, in churches or houses of worship across the United States. So that's an important thing that we've em- emphasized. But what we've also emphasized is, look, we have seen where churches that have, you know, safety teams, they're prepared, um, they're more supportive in their community. They have more of an imp- a positive impact in the community with law enforcement and public safety. And on top of that, um, in somewhere in the the middle of all that, we, we all got thrown into COVID where, you know, that's, you know, quadrupled the mental health concern in the country. And so, you know, generally houses of worship, you know, regardless of the denomination will offer, you know, guidance and say, look, we want to support your family. You live in our community, come, come here uh, so we can help you so we can support you. So with that, now we've, we've brought in all these folks that, you know, again, you know, have the mental health concerns and are coming in with baggage and everything else. And it's like, okay, so being the church, we need to be proactive instead of reactive. So what is something besides just active shooter that we should be, you know, prepared for? So that's kind of been our, honestly, our focus is to say, look, you know, when we talk about the biblical mandate of, you know, Jesus, when, when Jesus came to the earth, he, he basically said three commands. And one of the, one of those three commands was, uh, to, to create disciples and to, um, to disciple others. And so discipling and teaching are pretty synonymous, but as, you know, as we help churches and, you know, we kind of go through some of that stuff, that's, that's been our focus to say, look, you know what, we can, we have this model, you know, you can see how this model contributes back to the community in a, in a better way than anything has before. So as we all work together to accomplish the same thing, maybe, you know, maybe it will bring back some of that Americanism and some of the, you know, the patriotism of saying, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about helping, you know, my neighbor at at this time. I, I hope it does. Uh, you know, clearly, you know, everybody worries about active shooters and that's a catastrophic event. You know, as, from a military standpoint, we always talk about 
the the most dangerous threat and the most likely threat. Mm-hmm. And active shooter blessedly is not the most likely threat that a church or a community will face. But when it does happen, it's 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 serious and it's devastating sure. to to the people. But the the same kind of methodologies, the same kind of teamwork, the same type of organization that you have to have to prepare for and, and be ready to deal with uh, an active shooter can be applied at those, that other 95% of things that might go on in a church's life uh, and, and the life of their flock to, to be of benefit. It, it's just there's no downside to preparing for it if you do it correctly and you don't, you know, get off on the edge and do silly things, but you know, the, the proliferation of good ideas of reasonable ideas of cooperation with authorities, cooperation with, with each other is happening. It's no longer a fringe activity. Uh, It's affecting denominations of every sort. I've done a lot of work with Jewish congregations as well as, as fellow Christians uh, and it just it it's unwise not to do it, and and you get all these other residual benefits uh, within your church and to the outreach of that church to the community and beyond. For sure, Mike, did you want to jump in and add any, anything? Yeah, I actually wanted to take it, uh, pull it in a slightly different direction. Steve, you had a great article. I'm happy to be talking about uh, shooting-related topics in my backyard uh, in Uvalde and kind of covering some of the things of what kind of went wrong. And without going specifically into that, because that's obviously much more a school, and we're not here to necessarily critique, but the learnings that you unpack there as far as what can be proactively applied to a church situation so that they don't become that sitting duck. Yeah, I mean, a a lot of the principles that we talk about for schools, most of them are just as applicable to churches or even small businesses or or other uh, organizations. You know, the first one is you have to act preemptively. You have to be on the lookout for things. And I'm not talking about trolling the Internet, you know, trying to be a private eye to find stuff out. But in a lot of organizations, be they schools or churches, more often than not, there's some connection between mm-hmm. the, the church and that shooter. And, and they, you know, if you see something online or hear somebody talking, people need to understand they need to tell somebody. The, the days of saying, well, that's just Johnny blowing off steam are gone. Uh, right. you, you really have to respond. Absolutely. And we have to trust law enforcement that when we talk to them about it, that they're going to respond appropriately too. We saw that in, in our organization. We had a kid say something to somebody else, and, and fortunately that child reported it. We took action. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the p- police came in. They interviewed these. It was two young men actually involved. They did it well. I, I got to you know sit there and, and be the fly on the wall. They weren't brutalizing these kids. They weren't trying to get them to admit to something they hadn't done. And it turns out they probably were just blowing off steam. After the police did the interview, they took it to the prosecutor. You know, they talked to the psych people. Everybody agreed. Yeah, this is, you know, it it wasn't going to happen, but boy, we did it the right way. 
because I have to tell you, anybody who says I don't want to report anything like that because I think it will negatively affect that kid in the future, well, just think about what happens if you don't report it and that child turns out to be somebody who actually takes one of these horrific acts. You know, you haven't done them a favor and you darn sure haven't done a favor to any of their potential victims. So Mm -hmm. you have to do stuff ahead of time. Churches can be just as vigilant, whether it's the youth pastor, the other youth workers. Uh, You know, we you know, we have sites that all our social media are on. You need to watch it. If threats come up, you need to report it to the security folks and eventually to whatever law enforcement organization is is working with you. Uh, Then the, the other thing, exactly the same with schools and churches, is you have to do access control. The days of just throwing all of your doors open and letting sure. people come in, you know, from every direction on a Sunday morning are gone. You can't monitor all that. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking about having metal detectors. I'm just talking about having people with some training and expertise there, along with your regular ushers, watching for something that might be off, might be, you know, the, just the wrong place at the wrong time. And frankly, most of the time, you know, you see a big lump on somebody's side. Maybe in <laughs> Texas, you know, it's always done, but not everywhere else. But for most people, it's probably a cell phone or something like yeah. that. But you can't just assume it away. Uh, you mm-hmm. have to to check and, and, and in a positive, loving way until, you know, you find out the person's not loving. You, you can address that as a Christian and you should. Uh, and, and then, you know, you get somebody who just looks off, they, they, they're, they're not comfortable, they're, they're agitated. Well, heck, they're in church. That's where agitated people are supposed to come. <laughs> you know, we want them there, but we have to find out if there's other issues. And hopefully if there's not, then we get them the kind of ministry that they need. If they are intending something negative, we can then, then deal with it. Uh, and then, I'll skip the lockdown procedures because that's a little more applicable to schools, though you have to do it a little bit with churches as well, but it's, it's mm-hmm. less of a, of a big issue, is you have to have some capability to respond on the spot. Now, I'm, I'm not saying how you have to do that. If you can get police to be there all the time, that's fine. I have a friend who has a security business in Florida, and he has been providing security for very large Jewish congregations for many years. And he hires former Delta and SEAL Team 6 operators (laughs) who stand in their schools and their their congregations fully kitted up with body armor and long guns. Well, those folks have had a different kind of threat for a long time. I'm not Mm -hmm. advocating that. For one, those guys are really, really pricey. But it's also, you know, you, you can't let security destroy the mission of the church. Uh, You know, you want to be secure, but, you know, just putting barbed wire around your church is not the answer because we want people to come in. (laughs) You know, that's, that's our mission Mm. for the Lord. So the security ministry should never be a detriment to the overall ministry of the church. It has to be in support of it and done in a way, which it can be that supports that provides some comfort and and a lot of protection for the rest of the flock without being off-putting 
to that new person that just walked in, like happened in, in your church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, we've had folks come in and, and ask, do you guys have security here? And we don't give them the details because we don't know who they are, but we say, yes, we do. We have security. And sure. Oh, good. I'm, I'm, that makes me feel better. I'm, I'm okay with my family and my children being here. So you have to be able to do that. And for goodness sake, you've got to coordinate with law enforcement. Don't be the lone rangers thinking, well, we got this. We don't need those cops. Yes, you do. And you want them. Uh, you want them to be your friends. You want them to be comfortable in your church. Uh, I have several active law enforcement officers on our, our church team. Uh, and I make sure I spread them around. And if there's a known threat, I try and make sure at least one of them are on duty. So I told mm-hmm. my one friend, I said, look, Scott, if something starts to happen, it's a lot easier for you to just say, oh, I'm Lieutenant Scott, whatever, uh, from the state police, you're under arrest than us dealing with it. Because <laughs> sure. those guys are never off duty, uh, but you want them coordinated with with what you're doing. Uh, and it's it's really critical. The police are not our enemy, folks, as Christians. The police are on our side. And as long as you communicate to them that you're not mavericks and, and doing some crazy stuff, they're sure. more than happy to work with you. And, uh, and our county sheriff, because we're under the sheriff's office where we live in Emmett County, mm-hmm. uh, I introduced myself to him, explained what we were doing. He thanked me. He said, we will always support you. You call us if you need extra manpower. Uh, we want our guys checking on you every time we do some security upgrade in mm-hmm. the church or the school. They're the first persons we, we tell. And in fact, we just built a new building and our, one of the local departments said, hey, we understand you have a second floor with a balcony over the gym and a, and a running track and classrooms. <laughs> that would be helpful to us to use as a facility to practice some of our techniques. Could, sure. you know, would it be possible for us to do that? I didn't even have to check with the pastor. I knew what the answer was. I said, absolutely. You tell me when we'll get it arranged. I double checked with the pastor because I'm a good sheep too. I make these <laughs> But I then offered it at a conference I was at this past week, which had county sheriffs from all over this half of Michigan. I said, if you guys want to use this, let me know. Mm-hmm. But I made sure I stopped at our county sheriff's rep who was there. He had the number two, the undersheriff. I said, look, if any of these other guys decide to come in for training, I'm going to tell you because you're our home team. Uh, and I want and I'm not going to invite people in that you don't know about. That's the kind of common sense coordination you want to do. And sure. if you can get them on your side they're calling me constantly saying, Steve, we got some training going on. It's being paid for by this agency. Do you want to send a couple of people? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. <laughs> yep. It's, it's, and, and That's it's awesome. not just the training, but the relationships you build with those folks, because it reinforces the fact that we're serious about what we do. We're not mm-hmm. playing cowboy. It's not, you know, a men's group who gets to carry guns to church. It's a serious ministry of the church for the church. And, uh, and it's mm-hmm. critical 
Uh, and if you have that kind of thought process, you can get a lot of things done. I think it's interesting you say that because we, before I started attending the church I'm at now, the church I used to be at, I was the safety director for about 15 years. And we did the exact same thing that you just mentioned. Like we would have local, um, we're we're actually in a city, but we would have, you know, city officers come out, sheriffs come out you know, state troopers, local, I mean, whoever wanted to come, we would open our doors. And it was so funny to me, not funny, ironic, I guess, because oftentimes several of the police chiefs that came in, they would ask me for a tour and I would give them, you know, a tour and kind of show them how we, we did things. And they would just be like blown away. They're like, you know, I, I don't understand you know, why you got like, this isn't a, like you said, it's not a group or a club. This is a a well-maintained ministry and you guys take this serious. And so oftentimes, you know, we would allow them to use our sanctuary or, um, you know, our, our fellowship hall to practice, whether it was active shooter or just a new different building that maybe not everyone knew Mm -hmm. the details of, Um, because honestly, and we've talked about that too on, on, um, our broadcast before, but, you know, oftentimes if you have something happen like an active shooter event, you're going to have a response from everywhere, whatever off officer is closest, regardless of their jurisdiction or their, you know, their town coverage, et cetera. So where, where that church was located for us was, um, you know, right off the interstate. So, you know, highway patrol would come in, you know, sheriffs and, and a couple of different towns as well. So, but yeah. And what was amazing to me was when we originally went to do that, I reached out to one of the police chiefs and said, Hey, we want to offer our facility. I'm just letting you know, anytime you want to train, please feel free to bring your officers in. Anytime someone's here, you know, you're welcome to stop by. We'll get you a cup of coffee and, you know, or, or let you use the restroom for a restroom break, you know? And he was just speechless. He was blown away. He's like, I I've never had anybody ask, you know, offer that. And I said, I was kind of shocked, but I said to him, you know, it's, that's funny to me because this area, the area that we were in has so many churches and so many opportunity, but it's not being taken advantage of. And, um, so it's honestly, it's, it's developed a relationship with us and that agency to the point where uh, one of the pastors at that church was recently brought in as a volunteer chaplain for the agency. And they hadn't had a, they hadn't had a chaplain in that police department since I think the sixties. And so they reached out to the church and said, Hey, we have this relationship with you guys you know, could you come in and help some of our officers with, you know, with the mental health piece and, you know, and some of the things that we deal with. So it really just opened up this amazing opportunity to partner with them and, you know, and, and help them and, and support them as a community, you know, together. And I think sometimes probably more often than not, I know Mike and I see churches that, um, you know, when we, when we suggest something like that, it just kind of like, we get the deer in the headlights look, you know, it's like, I don't really, what, how, how are we supposed to do this? You know? And so, 
it's I guess it's it's trying to trying to remove some of those barriers of how we've done things for the last, you know, 30, 40 years to to do to do something better and different. I don't know. Yeah. And and the related to that, when when guys are and gals, I have gals on our team, too, who are doing security you don't have to look like the bouncer at the nightclub, <laughs> you know, sure. you can be very vigilant and still say hello to people, welcome them as they come in. You're not the ushers. So, you know, if the, somebody comes in carrying something, you shouldn't run over and help them. If there's somebody else to do it, you know, you're paying attention, you're on guard duty. So you have to pay attention, but you can do that without acting like, you know, you're some intimidating thug. <laughs> that is not what we're looking for in God's house. Uh, and, and people, so that augurs for picking people who are mature enough to understand that and who can do that. And I found it actually to be quite easy. And a couple of times when we've had people who did not, you know, exemplify that, a little training and talking to them, and they weren't trying to be look mean. They just sure. thought that's what you had to do when you were on duty. And they realized, no, you, you can be, very nice. In fact, you're going to get more information when you act nicely than when you act like, you know, you're some big meanie. That's just sure. not, not appropriate. Uh, but it's, it's important. You've got to work together uh, and, and you have to be open to ideas. Don't ever discount, you know, you don't just need the, you know, the six foot four guys with the big thick necks that, you know, look like <laughs> athletes. You need people that everybody's comfortable with. Uh, we have a, a couple of our ladies who always volunteer for the kids hallway uh, mm -hmm. that I pity any bad guy who ever tries to get down <laughs> here by those kiddos when they're on duty because they take their job very, very seriously. And, mm -hmm. and even someone who's maybe not physically able to do the actual duty of the security person, but they're really good at smelling a rat in a woodpile they sure. just, or, or, you know, they're hearing from the Holy Spirit very well. Put them on the team. They, they don't have to go tackle a bad guy. But if they go, hey, Steve, that one, uh, that's worth a million bucks in a situation. Sure. So, uh, you know, people need to open their, their apertures pretty broadly when they do this. It, it's not a science. It's an art. Uh, and But there's a lot of data out there available to us for a lot of years that uh, make this very, very effective in doing what we're supposed to do, which is protecting the flock. For sure. Mike, did you want to add anything? I know we're, we're just about out of time, unfortunately, because I feel like we could, we could carry on with this conversation for a long, a long time. I was going to say, I feel like Steve, it's like we've known each other for years because <laughs> much of the points you just made is exactly like, it's like you're reading from a script, but we know you're not. And so it's just great uh, that to see another gentleman that serves in the Lord and, and not just the many years of service that you have, but serving in a, in a church safety and security perspective. And you're absolutely right. The, the seriousness of the ministry, the importance, the, the kind of approach. Uh, so many good points here tonight. And, and I guess I would just say, uh, if you had one last point to share, uh, anything from across your career uh, uh, applicable to churches and church safety, what would you want to leave our audience with tonight? Uh, look, I'm an old guy and I'm still serving. Uh, 
everybody out there, if, if you live for the Lord Jesus, you should be trying to find where you can serve. It might not be in a security ministry, but there's some place to do it. Don't retire. That's baloney. <laughs> you know, you maybe you're not getting a paycheck anymore, but the Lord still has work for you. And I've seen that in spades in, in the last 15 years of my life. Uh, and, and it's worth every bit of it. Stay engaged. God will give you the energy to do it. Amen. Amen. Well, again, Steve, thanks so much for, for joining. And uh, we look, look forward to one of these days, maybe we'll, we'll actually, Mike and I will get to a conference where you're speaking. Cause I'd, I'd love to hear, I've already, actually, we've already gotten some response from our audience that I guess they were there along with John um, and they really appreciated your, your perspective at the, uh, the SOS conference. So, um, but maybe one of these days, Mike and I will get to get to your, your next conference so that we can, we can hear you. Are you kidding? Great. I, I, I want to get up to that point of the bit and get to Mackinac Island. It, it, come on up, man. It's, well. beautiful. it's a lot cooler than where you guys live. I got to tell you that. We might have to, we might have to do a road trip, Mike, like drive up to, to visit right? Steve's church. We, we, we have room guys. Come on up. It's, all the summer people are leaving now. It, it, the fall is beautiful. <laughs> Well, again, thank you so much. It's been a, an honor and pleasure to talk to you. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you both. And God bless you for what you're doing and spreading information to people who need it. Thank Thanks, you. Steve. God bless you. All right. So uh, we are uh, out of time, but we'll wrap up. And uh, we appreciate you, you listening as always. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. And again, if you're listening at a different time uh, on one of the podcast platforms or, or listening on YouTube, uh, feel free to, to click like and subscribe. That always helps us out with the algorithms. And then if we can help you uh, and your ministry in any way, please feel free to reach out to us. Our website is churchsafetyguys.com. And you can go to the contact us portion on that website and uh, it will email us directly. And then also you can reach out to us through our church security app, uh, which is free to download, free to register. Thanks to uh, our sponsors and the folks that support our, our ministry here. So until next time, uh, we will say take care. God bless. Have a great week. Thank you for joining the Church Safety Guys broadcast, brought to you by Vigilant Impact. We hope that you found it informative and we appreciate your feedback and interaction. Be sure to share our broadcast with your teams, join the discussion online, and connect with us on social media or at our website at churchsafetyguys.com. For other great ministry resources, download the Church Security app. Remember, keep a servant's heart, a mindset of ministry, and semper disciplina. Always be training. Have a blessed week.